Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop war games, and tabletop role-playing games. I'm your host, Troy, definitely not a slime pretending to be a human, and I'm joined today by my co-host. And my name's Ed. My pronouns are uh, they and them, but I also didn't say them on the last episode, and I'm pretty sure a fae ran off with it, so I might be pronounless for a while. Oh, that's no good. Um... If the Fae run off with your pronouns, uh, well, I, uh, my personal preference is to find a Fae and ask, uh, can I have your pronouns and see if they give them to you. Um, although then you end up with the Fae's pronouns, whatever those might be. Uh, Friggin' Fae. Yeah, I got, I got nothing on that one. Yes, I mean... The, the real trick is to find a fae therapist who asks if they can have your anxieties. Yes. All of that, please. Yes. I'm I'm very tempted to make that a thing at some point. If I'm <laughs> if I ever do a modern like f- modern fantasy weird stuff, a fae therapist who just starts off with, Can I have your anxieties? I like it. Yes. I'm I'm sure there would be unintentional side effects of the whole shenanigans, but uh but we're not here to talk about Fey. We are here to talk about oozes, slimes, jelly, plasmoids, the squishy boys, the yeah. gelatinous cubes. Gonna get the, squishy um, up in here. The spawn of Jubilix. What? Oh. Oh, there's so much that we must talk about. Is there so a slime many... god? There is a slime demon lord. Hmm. Um... Yeah, he's he's terrifying. And I'm I, saying he because uh, his pronouns are, do appear to be he, him, despite lacking any form of gender. I uh, I eager, eagerly await our juicy, slimy overlord. Yeah, no, you don't want you don't want him. He's evil. He is so evil. The temple of elemental evil is made by someone who is constantly feuding with him over who's eviler. More evil? <laughs> Evilist? Whatever. This is what happens when fascists start infighting. Uh, are demon lords? No, t- technically he's chaotic evil, not lawful evil. Hmm. Um, I can't think it, of a real world analog for chaotic evil. Anarcho-capitalism? Oh, burned. I mean, they they don't believe in rules, right? You're going to need some jelly for that burn. And we know capitalism is evil because there's no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism. (laughs) Therefore, anarcho-capitalism, chaotic, evil. Uh, To all you anarcho-capitalists out there, uh, you can't send us anything over the internet because that's federally regulated. And you can't send us anything through the mail because, again, federally regulated. So, good luck. (laughs) All right. But before we really get into this, and, I mean, I'm happy to keep dunking on anarcho-capitalism, but... uh, Aren't we all? I mean, yeah. But we do have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done this last week in hobby. Ed, why don't you start? Because my weekend hobby has been um, pretty uneventful, even by our standards. Oh, boy. Uh, so let's see. 
my week was pretty busy. I didn't get a whole lot, like, actually hobby-wise done. I did start working on one of the Dungeons & Dragons cats that I got, like, way, way long ago in the pandemic, and they've been just kind of sitting on my desk. So I started painting one of those cats, and I worked on it for maybe all of 20 minutes, and it's probably almost done, which was kind of a nice feeling. Uh, still blocking in the color on my infinity stuff and the process is actually working really well. It gives me a good idea of how things are going to look and with just how crazy detailed infinity is, sometimes it's hard to get a good, uh, mental image of what I want things to look like. And so doing the color blocking has really helped on that one. And what else did I do? Uh, I went and I'm now a fancy lass who is going to use some Windsor Windsor and Newton Series 7 paintbrushes on their uh, painting projects. Uh, I posted a thing on Instagram a couple weeks ago about how all of my paintbrushes just kind of like disintegrated over that like five month period that I wasn't painting. And they're just, I don't know what happened to them because I didn't even like do anything egregious as far as like storing them incorrectly, but they just are not working for me anymore. So I got a bunch of fancy new paintbrushes, uh, decided to splurge since I'm not somebody who's ever really used like super fancy paintbrushes. Um, there is kind of that fallacy of like, oh, better paintbrushes aren't going to make you a better painter. But also if you're, you know, trying to paint with a rock, uh, your paint jobs aren't going to look that great. So we'll see how the fancy brushes go. Yeah, uh, my thought on that is that better paintbrushes don't make you a better painter, but having better tools uh, if you have all, if you already have skills, having better tools makes the output better, and it yeah. certainly makes the output faster. Yeah, and uh, I've been wanting to use natural hair brushes for quite a while, uh, but there was some shenanigans in the last couple of years with the weasels that provide the sable being accidentally put like on the endangered species list, and so for a while uh, there was no importing or selling of Kalinsky sable brushes while that shenanigan got sorted out. But apparently it's sorted out now because I was like, y'all have any uh, natural hair brushes? And they pulled out like a locked display case from underneath all the paints. And I was like, ooh, fancy. I get to go into the locked cabinet. Yes. And as we all know, weaseling out of things is what separates us from the animals. Yep. Except the weasel. And then uh, still playing a lot of chess uh, feel like I'm actually improving and starting to get better at it. Also playing Go, uh, not really improving and getting better at it. I'm trying to read like a bunch of Go theory and stuff like that, but man, it is really hard to find like a good spot to start that doesn't begin with each stone has four liberties. If you take them all away, the stone goes away. I would suggest starting by learning openings. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, the book that I am currently reading, I don't know if it's too advanced or if just because it's a very old book uh, that it's not written as concisely or uh, in a more legible manner than maybe a more current one would be. So... I'm trying. Oh, what's, what's the book? Oh, uh, um, it's called like the 
like the Dictionary of Joseki, something like that. It's from like 1974, I think. Yeah, no, I think I've heard of that one. It's considered one of the better ones. Uh, the yeah. Elementary Go series is also considered to be quite good. I have one of them on my desk. And then I also joined uh, our local Go society. So at some point in theory, I'd like to be able to actually go and play in person. And they're like, yeah, if you actually come play in person instead of, you know, doing correspondence or internet games, you'll improve a lot more, which in my experience with us playing Go in person when we're able to, uh, I actually learn a lot more from the games because it's easier to keep track of what I'm doing and have like a coherent train of thought rather than, you know, a day or two going by between moves. And I have completely forgotten whatever plan I had. Yes, I, I understand that. And then uh, you were involved in our D&D game. I don't know how much you want to talk about that or if you want me to talk about it. I'll talk about it because, uh, yeah, I'll just talk about that. So my weekend hobby was basically just the Spelljammer game that we're in uh, because my Eberron games were on hiatus this week. Both. Uh... So, and, oh, also, and while I do have Infinity Miniatures and one of those cats you were talking about sitting on my desk, I did zero painting this week. So uh, uh, let's just talk about Eberron instead. Or let's just talk about Spelljammer instead. The party, let's see, we went, we were on an asteroid in the, I believe it's called the Smuggler's Belt. Smuggler's Cove. Smuggler's, Smuggler's Reef. There set of asteroids. Um, we attempted to investigate the nearby Spelljammer ship, thinking that it might be related to the carnival somehow. Instead, there were weird balloon goons, I believe they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, on it, which led us down to the carnival, we played some carnival games, and then managed to get tickets to go inside and see the show, which was the gladiatorial combat. Well, to be uh, more we, accurate, we cheated at carnival games. I mean, yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> um... Also, I bluffed my way through getting a ticket from the uh, carny who was doing the uh, fortune telling. Oh, yeah, um, we met. I, I, it's apparently quite hard to cold read a Warforged, given their utter lack of facial expression. Yeah, that it helps that uh, our your fortune teller is Tommy Chong. Yes, the, the carnies at this carnival being depicted as... Actual carnival carnies who are, you know, they don't want to be there. They're more concerned with just getting tickets and uh, being belligerent and stuff was fantastic. And I give massive props to the Dungeon Master for that. Yep. Uh, then we went into the VIP tent. The big tent. Thing, um, which was just a gladiator arena. And we started shit with the space clowns that were there. Um which led into a massive multi-stage, multi-directional, multi-person fight in which that we... fight went in uh, a lot of directions that I didn't expect. I was just like, how how much are we going to keep fighting? Yeah, lots of fighting in lots of directions. We killed a space clown, although the other one escaped. That's right, uh, he we... did the weird, like, exorcist climb out the window. Yeah, um, we killed a bunch of balloon goons. We fought some lizard folk. And we, um... 
tamed, question mark, a gelatinous cube. <laughs> I communed with it. It recognized my, my, uh, my heart of gelatin. And I was able to uh, tame it into submission. I don't know what verb I was looking there, looking for there. But I got some nice rolls on animal handling. Yes. Uh, the question, of course, is, and one that we will get into a little in this episode, is, are plasmoids actually oozes? Uh, I'm going to go with yes. Well, that's uh, a big question. And that was really my weekend hobby. I did not have other games going on. And um, aside from the Go game that we're playing, which honestly is looking better for you than a lot of our previous ones have. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk that up to reading a little bit more of that Joseki book. <laughs> yes, uh, you have two corners. We each have two corners right now, and the center is could go either way. So we'll see how this plays out over the next wanna, several weeks. I want to do go homework, not electricity homework. Yeah, electricity is boring. Go is cool. Only cool kids play go. And if you want to know more about Go, listen to our episode entitled Go. Yep. And then listen to our episode entitled Chess, because we also talked about chess. It's the chess, the pseudo-sequel. Yes. Oh, there was something I was thinking about with chess just the other day that I thought I should have mentioned in the chess episode. I don't remember what it is, though. Alas, it's lost time. Oh, well. Chess. It's a game. But our main topic today is oozes and slimes. Slime me up, daddy. Oozes and... S no. No. <laughs> no. I've been waiting so long to say that. <laughs> I made it a whole 14 minutes and 22 seconds. <sighs> All right. So, slimes and oozes have been a core component of Dungeons & Dragons monsters since the original books. The gelatinous cube appears in the 1974 um, Dungeons & Dragons white box set. The original set, the one that was published in, you know, just black and white printing with basically no artwork. I didn't know there um, was anything other than the red box. I thought that was the original. No, the white box um, was the original, and then the red box was the when they sold out of the white box, they made the red box. Because <laughs> um, TSR back in the day was... Uh, yeah. Because um, I think they only made... A couple hundred? Not nearly no, enough. They made a thousand copies for the original box set. Hmm. Um, and then the red box set had quite a few more because they were doing a lot of other stuff. That makes me curious, like, what an actual, like, lar like average size print run for a board game is nowadays, especially with, like, a lot of the niche stuff and independently produced. I mean, you could look at Kickstarter for some good data on that. Um, but I would imagine probably minimum runs of around 5,000. Yeah, so I guess that's still more than the than the OG D and D. Yes, um, especially if it's a board game that's being produced in China, 
Uh, yeah, you need to get up around five to 10,000 for the um, economies of scale to really kick in. Uh, as someone who is in the print industry, I, I can give you actual information that's you 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 need to do five to ten thousand if you want to actually save money on that. Too many games. Yes. Well, not enough games. Too many also games. True. Too many games. Not enough time to play them. Yeah, that's a that's a true statement. Yes. Um. So. They've been around since the beginning of D&D, but where did oozes come from? Well, um, the back of the fridge with all the food that you've forgotten about. Possibly, but oozes aren't, oozes and slimes and stuff aren't really a thing in mythology. Um, I think there's like one Japanese legend about uh, evil ooze monsters that like, roam battlefields and eat corpses. But that's not a common or well-known thing. It just seems uh, so weird that there's not a whole lot of, like, history to go with it. Well, that's the thing. It's not a folklore mythology monster. It's a weird science fiction pulp adventure monster. Science fiction out of left field! Yeah, well, like the Displacer Beast... Oozes and uh, slimes are science fiction, and especially pulp science fiction, the sort of stuff you'd get in, like, 30, in, like, 20s through the 50s adventure pulp magazines, where you find, like, the amoeba being from Planet X, or films like The Blob. My favorite kind uh, of sci-fi, just as long as it's not too racist. Yes. Uh, things like H.P. Lovecraft's Shoggoths are perhaps one of the most well-known examples. Being, Are they a slime monster? They are described as... Let's see, the Shoggoth. I always um, assumed that they were like just a big tentacle monster. Um, They are... Massive amoeba-like creatures made out of iridescent black slime with multiple eyes floating on the surface. Huh. Is how they are described in, uh, yeah. I guess it's in the, it's in the same territory. To quote at the Mountains of Madness, it was a terrible, indescribable thing, vaster than any subway train, a shapeless congress of protoplasmic bubbles, faintly self-luminous, with myriads of temporary eyes forming and unforming as pustules of greenish light all over the tunnel-filling front that bore down upon us. Crushing the frantic penguins and slithering over the glistening floor that it and its kind had swept so evilly free of all litter. Bro, spoiler alert. Um, also that thing about it sweeping the dungeon floor clean there? That's gelatinous <laughs> cube shit. <laughs> Shoggoths are one of the proto-slime monsters. Um, effectively. And, uh, yeah. They like I I will go ahead and say that that's probably one of the inspirations, along with all the other pulp magazine science fiction of fighting like amoeba creatures or whatever. Oh, uh, like where exactly it comes from, we may never know. Um, but the but from its humble beginnings in the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons, slimes have spread and multiplied and gotten a lot of changes made to them. As uh, slimes there are tend some, to do. 
there are some common features to slimes and oozes. Uh, as they are kind of drawn from the concept of amoebas, many of them have the ability to split into multiples when damaged. Um, this is just a classic element of, you know, the amoeba undergoing mitosis, cellular mitosis, as our biologist friend might know, might, you know, may Be come up of. with issues on this. <laughs> um, they oftentimes do some form of acid damage, um, and they are usually transparent or semi-transparent. Um, they do tend to live in dungeons a lot for whatever reason, like they are suited to the ecology of dungeons and, um, they tend to have a lot of variety in types. Um, so some of the classic D and D ones, obviously first and foremost, the gelatinous cube, my boy, it is a 10 foot gelatinous by... cube. It is a classic, a 10 foot by 10 foot by 10 foot cube that is almost entirely transparent. The idea being that it roams 10 foot wide dungeon hallways, eating everything organic, basically cleaning up all the scrap and the litter and being a surprise for unsuspecting adventurers who uh, could walk right into it and, you know, get engulfed and digested. Um... Its biggest danger is, of course, the fact that it's usually the same size as the hallway that you're in. So you can't just run around it. You can just, you're kind of stuck having to fight it. Uh, then we get the Gray Ooze, which is a classic version. Um, they're kind of indistinguishable from Wet Rock or Oily Puddle have resistance to a couple of different magical types, and, um... Oh, yeah, they, they melt metal and clothes and stuff. Good times. Um, actually, I had a party fight them once, and the cleric who had just bum bumbled into the room lost his entire set of armor. No! Um... No, he didn't get knocked unconscious. He just lost all his armor fighting it. But, yeah, uh, the that's what he gets for walking into the room on his own. Um, complementing the gray ooze is the ochre jelly. Uh, they're yellow and they hunt people down more. I um, wonder if they taste like mustard. You get different like varieties. Get like Dijon ooze, perhaps spicy, spicy Chinese ooze. I mean, um, they do acid damage, so uh, definitely going to be spicy. Puts get some of the ooze, put it on a pretzel, German style. Well, if you're going to put something on a pretzel, why not pudding? How about a <laughs> black pudding? Uh, I've never black... had black pudding, so I can't make a uh, a judgment call on that one. Black puddings are corrosive like gray oozes and have the ability to split into multiple versions of themselves, like ochre jellies. And they're bigger, and they're immune to cold, acid, and lightning damage. So, um... Fun. Yeah, they're, uh... They're, they're dangerous. They're big and dangerous. Um, that being said, they're not particularly fast, so you can kite them pretty solidly. Um, and then 5th edition introduced a new type of ooze, the Ooblix. Um, I which was, don't think I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, there's a couple of varieties of it. 
uh, basically a small, medium, large. Uh, they're oozes that eat brains. They were the, the mind flayers did it. <laughs> um, they're a type of ooze that consume people's brains and memories. Right. Uh, there's a weak one that is bad with fire and just kind of like eats the memories of corpses. And then there's a bigger one that, um, yeah, uh, they can like split off a part of themselves that pretends to be a person. That's terrifying. Um, and is tethered to the main body by a strand of slime that can only be like 120 feet long and tries to lead people back to the main body so it can get eaten. That's definitely some Lovecraft bullshit right there. Yeah, and then there's the Elder Ublex that is that but much bigger and also can have a bunch of different people that are kind of fake imitations so it can engulf an entire town. Invasion of the Body Snatchers! Yeah, yeah, kind of. It, it is very old-school Lovecraftian. This town is being eaten by an ooze that, like, sends out fake versions of people to, like, sucker you into coming outside where it can get you. Nope, not coming outside. Can't make me. Um, would honestly be a great horror villain for a low-level party. Yeah, it would. Um, especially if you get stuck in a small town due to weird weather situations. Uh, note to self, making <laughs> that into an adventure. Um, and of course, we have to talk about where the big daddy of the oozes. The where ooze? The demon lord of oozes. Uh, sorry, the demon lord of slimes. He is one of the, I think, 13 demon lords of the abyss. It's 13 or 7. One of... I, think I got the, no idea how many there are. I think one's... I think there's like 13 demon lords and 9 devil lords. I, I don't know the exact cosmology. It's never been my core component. I'm always interested in the weird uh, spell jammer or planescape, like, multi-planar shenanigans and less in the blood war stuff. Yeah, because I know there's, there's uh, 9 lords of hell... Yeah, if there's uh, nine lords of hell, I think, it's circle. I think it's 13 demon lords of the abyss. To be honest, I don't think I've actually gotten to the abyss section of the blood war in uh, whichever book it is that they talk about that. Uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Yep, that was it. I remember I started reading the uh, blood war section while I was in the midst of a uh, fever delirium from my fluvid shot uh, last year. I couldn't think of anything better to do at 4 a.m., so I started reading about the Blood War. Blood War! <laughs> I mean, it is pretty metal. Yeah. Uh, Jubilex is the Faceless Lord, the most disgusting and loathsome of all demons. He's been around since AD&D. Woo! Um, his realm is... A festering swamp beneath which are a range of caves and sinkholes and pits full of slimes. Um, he shows up in a few different places. Uh, 
basically, it's worth saying that he's terrifying. His planar shit is super terrifying. Um, Just stay he, out. He briefly got, like, part... A chunk of him got flung into the elemental plane of water. Um, <laughs> and this started to poison the elemental plane of water. And this was banished. Like, the spawn that he created were banished and this created the demi-plane of filth um, um no thank you not going yes there. no he is uh yeah he's pretty terrifying um he's uh yeah he, he's not great to have around um He's, uh, one of the core things is that in 5th edition lore, all oozes and slimes are in some way linked to him. <laughs> and he can, in fact, sort of take them over psychically. He can assume direct control if he feels like it. It's just, uh, getting all Last of Us vibes up in here. One yes. ooze to rule them all. I don't know if it's the Last of Us. I'm saying it's more of, a. Uh, I'm, I was referencing Mass Effect 2, but yeah, he can po pop in and take over any given ooze anywhere in the multiverse. The thing is, he's mostly not concerned with that, and he's not hyper-intelligent or hyper-cunning and calculating the way some of the Demon Lords are, so he doesn't, for the most part. No brain, just... only ooze. Yeah, well, he's... He is smart and cunning. His primary thing is that he wants to just sort of slowly corrupt everything and erode and turn it all into more slime. Um, he's not interested in, like, actively going out and doing that for the most part. Um, I can understand having goals and feeling far too lazy to actually accomplish them. Yeah. Uh, anyone he consumes, he obliterates. Seeing him can cause people to go mad. He can eject corrosive slime that does damage and then pulls you into his body. No! If you are pulled into his body, you are obliterated in ten rounds. Just, no thanks. Yeah, that's what happens for demon lords. Kind of sounds uh, like the, uh, the final boss, one of the final bosses for, uh, Arkham Horror. Obliterated. Yeah. You've been obliterated. Uh, there are various cultists that worship him. Although generally not a lot. Because uh, worshipping the god, the demon lord of slimes, doesn't get you much. Um, I mean, aside from devoured by slimes. That happens. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of any good joke to go in there. Yes, I mean, there have been some weird slime-related NPCs and stuff in the various editions. Um, there was the Warlock of Ooze in, like, uh, I think, second edition. Ooh, with the para-elemental plane of Ooze. Um, there was an Ooze Master cultist of Jubilix who considered humanoids to be slaves of shape. Slaves um, of shape. There is, in the Out of the Abyss in adventure, uh, in 5th edition, 
You have Gabagool, which is an intelligent, somewhat friendly gelatinous cube. That's a interesting name. Yeah. Glabagool. Yeah. Uh, you also have the Pudding King. Who is an <laughs> That's a great un- name. An unhinged, slime-covered deep gnome with an army of hundreds of oozes. Uh, and at the end of that adventure, he tears away his human guys and transforms into an ooze. I like um, it. There's a, a lot of different things. There's a lot of different options for this. Um, in one of the Dragon magazines, there was an Ooze Master special cl- subclass, um, which had a bunch of weird ooze-related features, including the ability to secrete acid and, um, you know, gain the senses <laughs> of pudding. Pudding sight, mm, giving you tremors. Pudding sense. Yeah. And another dragon magazine had the Ooze Familiar, which was a tiny-sized gelatinous cube familiar. That would be my choice. You know, I'll take the tiny cube. Is like six inches by six inches, maybe? Yep. I'll like it. Um, I'll, I'll do it. It moved slowly and granted you acid resistance. Um, yeah, I kind of like that concept. Um, yeah, I mean, if if they're going to give you that, like, gazer eye bite one that's the beholder one, I think the tiny gelatinous cube should certainly be an option. Yep. Um, although I would restrict it to a warlock version just because uh yeah and of course throughout the old editions there have been a whole bunch of weird oozes um crystal oozes conflagration oozes flesh jelly crystal ooze seems to conflict with the idea of ooze i don't um, think i've ever seen ooze with a uh, crystal and lattice well in this case crystal oozes are aquatic Apparently. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, there are all sorts of oozes and slimes and including a bunch of different colors and varieties. If you look through older editions as in, as well, there are thousands, the not thousands, there are hundreds of different slimes and oozes to choose from. Well, here's the ultimate question. What is the best slime? Um, I'm going to go with, dun, 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 dun. honestly, I'd say the gelatinous cube is probably the best. I mean, it's not the most powerful, certainly, but, um, it is the most interesting and the, the most classic. Um, although the Bloodfire Ooze from 3rd uh, Edition Monster Manual 4 is pretty cool, because it's a 15-foot tall ooze reeking of brimstone and is a pool of blood with faces twisted in torment that are made of burning blood and can um, let out flame, bur- like, have breath attacks, essentially. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. They are created in cauldrons through a ritual requiring the blood of at least 100 good or neutral humans and the ichor of a powerful demon. 
that one's going to be harder to get. Yeah, no, they are about as metal as you're going to get for an ooze without making <laughs> metal, metal ooze. ooze. Well, we'll talk a little about that when we get to uh, JRPG slimes. But before we get to JRPG slimes, uh, we do want to talk about plasmoids. Woo! Plasmoids are... They don't match up with the oozes and slimes. I would say they're drawn from the same source of the pulp adventure amoeba creatures. Um, especially the pulp science fiction. But they don't seem to draw a lot of the exact elements of it. They are treated as like amoeboids rather than corrosive acidic slime monsters i am a an amazing uh jelly configuration of cell parts i don't i have no idea what that was yeah. it just came out of my mouth i mean the the description of plasmoids treats them as being amoeba creatures that you know you can see floating inside them little pricks of whatever cellular material and the sort of web of their nervous system that floats around inside their body, which is not what you get with slimes, which tend to be more of a, well, less of a actual body and more of a puddle of amorphous liquid. I felt uh, like that before. So yeah, the fact that while, um, Technically, a plasmoid is amorphous. It acts more like a humanoid, whereas a slime acts like a puddle. <laughs> um, sort of, I, I'm not sure they are linked in any real way. Now, whether that's true for your setting is something that is going to be dependent on the individual dungeon master. We're not here to tell you how to play your game. Yeah. Unless it's Go, in which case, follow the rules. Um, but when it comes to role-playing games, that's your your mileage may vary. Um, additionally, the fact that all slimes are theoretically linked to Jubilix and Plasmoids don't seem to be in any way uh, would also hint to me that maybe there's not much, not as much of a relationship as we were thinking. No, my my dude's definitely good. He's not evil. He's not linked to the demon, the faceless demon lord of oozes. Nope. Or is he? Uh, no. no. Nope, I don't think we're going there. So then, that's been Dungeons and Dragons, Slimes and Oozes. And I guess your typical Western fantasy games. Let's talk about the other place you may see a slime. And that's in JRPGs. Yeah, son. And uh, any media that comes out of JRPGs. See, this was going to be my actual correct answer for what is the best slime. Um, the You're thinking the slime from Dragon Quest? Yep, that is the best slime. Yes, so Dragon Quest has slimes. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it the way they do because I'm because I <laughs> don't speak good Japanese. Um, slimes were inspired because the 
one of the lead designers of the original 1986 Dragon Quest was playing a, another video game called Wizardry that drew a lot of stuff from Dungeons & Dragons. I have Wizardry um, 8. I don't know if he was playing Wizardry 8 or one of the earlier Wizardries. Uh, I'm going to guess probably one of the earlier ones because Wizardry 8 came out the same year as uh, Morrowind and was considered like one of the competitor games when it released. Ah, yes. No, and uh, so he was probably playing Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlords, The Knight of Diamonds, or Legacy of something that's basically Welsh. I can't pronounce that. There's too many L's <laughs> in that word. Basically um, Welsh. Legacy of Littlerman. Needs more vowels. Excellent. Fewer, fewer wise. I don't know. I'm, I'm messing around here. But essentially, it was games that were made for the Apple II home computer. Going uh, way and was, back. Yeah, way, way back. Um, and the, uh, yeah, they were being played by one of the designers of Dragon Quest. And he was like, I, you know what? Slimes. Class, let's use those as our base monster. And so slimes, the happy, smiling, big-eyed slime became a thing. Um, slimes in JRPGs, and especially in games that have spun off of that, are a quintessential low-level enemy for a few reasons. The first being that, um, well, they're not particularly threatening, usually, because they're just, they're weak individually. Um... And so they're really helpful for teaching players the basics of combat. But at the same time, they can be, you, they, you know, you don't expect them to act particularly smart. You don't expect them to have ranged attacks. Um, but you can also introduce a wide variety of them, including some that have different abilities or require different attacks to combat. And uh, you can use palette swapping pretty liberally to do that. Something tells me you probably couldn't use them in the same training monster function as you would uh, in D&D. Definitely not. The D&D slimes are much um, weirder and designed as more of a hazard than as a monster in the typical sense here. Um. I, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that slimes, you know, may or may not have consciousness or the ability to talk or whatever, depending on the game and the system, means that they're kind of a cruelty-free option for a training <laughs> monster as well. Monsters. As opposed to something like, uh, I don't know, kobolds or goblins. No hurt kobold. Huh? No hurt kobold. Yeah, no hurt, no tick candle. Um, and of course, this has led to slimes being a very popular element of JRPGs and of material that draws from JRPGs. A lot of, uh, fantasy manga, light novels, anime has slimes in it. Um, possibly the most famous of the current crop is that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Always fun. Where the protagonist is a slime. I, I, I enjoy that series, actually. Um, though uh, it's, it moves away from being slime and doing slime things rather quickly. Um, Unfortunately, I got no joke there because I haven't read that series yet. 
Sorry. Well, I mean, you could say it as the most overpowered plasmoid for the main character. <laughs> um, this has also led, I suppose, to the creation of the slime girls and other standard monster waifu stuff that Japan seems to produce. Nerds are weird. Yes. Yes, they are. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure where to go with this. Uh, slimes, classic monster. Oh, I suppose I should talk about some of the varieties of slimes that show up in JRPGs. Uh, the typical one being you've got your little basic weak slimes, and then you have your larger, like, boss slimes. Uh, sometimes these are created by combining multiple slimes into one giant, like, three, into one giant monster. Or they're a giant monster that you have to hit enough times and split. Uh, oftentimes, slimes in JRPGs and in their subsequent media have a core, uh, which is a magic stone or special organ somewhere inside the monster that you hit as a weak point for massive damage. You gotta get to that sweet nougaty center. Yes, you have to hit the core in order to kill it, because otherwise it's just a slime and it just keeps regenerating. Uh, they also have things like metal slimes, as we, as I think you said that wasn't a thing, but it is. I'm pretty Typically sure I've seen are... one at the, like, the Discovery Store. Yes, uh, well, in this case, there are slimes in the fiction that usually have eaten a lot of some particular metal and thus gained abilities related to said metal, usually being super hard on the outside, but still able to, like, slime around. Steel cube. Well, less a, less a cube, less an important tungsten cube, um, and more of a just blob of whatever the metal might be. Um, and then, of course, you get your standard, like, spitting acid slimes or slimes that learn how to heal or whatever. Um... But uh, they are typically a classic JRPG MMO trash mob. That monster that there's hundreds of them that you can just kill forever forever without feeling bad. And as so, a important So here's way a question to for characters. you. Uh, yes? What, what would you... How would you best represent a gelatinous cube on the tabletop? I would use the gelatinous cube miniature that I own. Is it, a, is it like an officially officially made one? Yes. Assuming you couldn't use that one, what kind of fancy hobby tricks would you use to make a gelatinous cube? Um, I would get some jello. And I would uh, make the jello. And I would cut it into the form of a cube and put that on the tabletop. Actually, now that I think about it, Jello shot and whoever gelatinous gets to cube kill it, eats it. Yes, I like that idea. Yes, Make Jello shot gelatinous cube. I mean, that's going to be a big Jello shot because on a D and D map, that would be two inches by two inches. <laughs> that is two big. inches. Um, so maybe like you cut it into chunks and then take the shots, or maybe you get like multiple shot glasses and like move them onto the map and then as its health gets worn down people take the shots yeah i um, like that idea honestly that would be a very fun uh 
dungeon where you go through a dungeon full of oozes and they're all jello shots. You could say it's delicious in dungeon. You could say it's delicious in dungeon. <laughs> you could also say it's highly alcoholic in dungeon. This is also true. Uh, that's something to consider for uh, next year's Garage Con, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to learn how to make jello shots. It's super easy. I've done it before. Um, you get some vodka, you get some jello, you pour vodka into the jello mix. That's a that's really it. Um, or other alcohol. I think vodka is just the recommended one because it doesn't mess up the like coloration of the jello. But yeah, oozes, slimes, various other cube creatures. They are classic elements of Dungeons and Dragons. I highly recommend throwing a gelatinous cube into a dungeon just to give your players the experience of handling one. Um, Except or, don't actually handle it. Yes, do not handle the gelatinous cube. It is acidic. Um, Make sure you wear your PPE. Is a fantastic artwork out there of a gelatinous cube mount. <laughs> um, yes. Make it happen. I want to say it was like of a, a goblin or a... I want to... I swear it was like a goblin or a kobold sitting on top of it, like leading it with a string and something. I... I don't remember. I can't seem to find it anymore, but... I don't know. I thought that was a piece of artwork I had seen at some point. Love um, it. So, yeah. Gelatinous cube. And slimes. They're a thing. Yeah, son. Yeah. So, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we did this week in hobby. And that happens at the beginning of the podcast. Wait, the, did I just did I just fall through a glitch in the matrix? What happened? At the end of the podcast, we have a segment called Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game. And this week we're gonna talk about I don't know, what do you want to talk about? Um I don't know. I don't have anything off the top of my head that I've played that I could actually speak to with any confidence. Alright, uh... What about Hero Quest? Do a primer what? on Hero Quest. We're gonna do a whole episode on Hero Quest at, somehow, at some point. Lesson of the story. Uh, I need to play more board games. Yeah, uh, you know what we're gonna talk about? Because, um... Because it's been in the news lately as ending soon officially pandemic uh, the board game not the current pandemic i i almost bought a copy of pandemic like the week before everything went to shit as like a joke be like ha 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 if we all have to stay inside and get quarantined well at least we'll have this to play um yeah glad i didn't do that yes so pandemic is a Game produced by Z-Man Games. It's a co-op game for two to four players where you take the role of um, basically people from the CDC who are trying to prevent a pandemic that is broken out and spreading across the world. 
And we all uh, know how well that turned out. Yes. Um, it doesn't work. Apparently it doesn't work. Uh, in the game, it's... Um, it's all about teamwork. You're, each player ha has different abilities, and you have to run around and take care of things in different cities across the globe. Uh, there are multiple types of diseases, and you have to find cures for all of them. Um, it has a system where as you draw cards with certain cities and stuff spreads to those cities, and if you draw the card again when it's uh, already infected, it'll destroy the city. So you have to like keep stuff moving and keep stuff like hands down and the cards get reshuffled back in so it gets more and more dangerous the longer the game goes um it's generally regarded as it, it's highly regarded it's a very solid game i've i've played the base version and i've also played pandemic legacy uh legacy being a substantially more difficult version because you can change elements of it as the game, like as you play the game multiple times, elements change. And the, I think the idea is that you are supposed to play it like eight to 10 times with the same group and it changes dramatically as it is built up. Um, we might have to do an episode just about legacy board games, that whole concept. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, but Pandemic is... Well, if you're feeling up to talking about diseases wiping out the world or severely damaging the world, Pandemic is a game you can play. If you're not feeling up to it, uh, don't play Pandemic. Or you could play one of the Pandemic variants. The one that had me the most interested was Pandemic Fall of Rome, which is about barbarians instead of viruses. Yes, there's Pandemic Fall of Rome. There's a Pandemic Zombies version um and then a few smaller spin-offs like pandemic hot zone and uh yeah a few others uh they did come out with a lovely uh 10th anniversary edition that comes in a like metal lunchbox style case or like first aid box style case i think i've seen that one yeah it's real real slick looking i have to say um, I'm always I'm always pro collectors collectors editions of board games. I am a sucker for that. Yes, uh, I don't know that it's in print, and you can find it on Amazon for two hundred dollars. No. Yeah, you can find the normal one at say Target for like forty bucks, and various other retailers for relatively cheap. You can also find it at your local game stores. And I pretty much guarantee that you can find it at your local game stores. Yep. If they don't have this in stock, they're be like, weird. what's wrong with you? Do you even sell games? Fine, whatever. Just give me a copy of Mysterium. Because you should play Mysterium. And that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, leave us a like, subscribe, follow us on social media if we actually get around to posting stuff. Um... Don't lick the slimes. Mm, uh, do the things Ed's about to tell you to do, but also uh, don't be an anarcho-capitalist. Yeah. Uh, reject anarcho-capitalism. Embrace anarchism. Yes. Reject Tennessee and Florida as well. Yep. 
you can follow me on Instagram at Adam Annis. Um, I'll probably be doing some stuff with my fancy new paintbrushes, and we'll see how long those last, see if they're actually worth the money or not. And go ahead. You can donate to any of your LGBTQIA plus charities. Check in on your queer friends. Stuff's getting spicy, and we're having a hard time. Might be a good time to check in on people. Um, ACAB, including Batman. Um, yes, ACAB includes Batman. He spends far too much time with Commissioner Gordon for this to not be ACAB. I'll, I, I'll have to make a bonfire for all my Batman merchandise. Need an anarchist hero. Who's the anarchist superhero? Um... I don't know. Uh, Harley Quinn's kind of anarchy. But she also works yeah. for Batman sometimes. Yeah, she works for Batman too much. Um, Deadpool? Yeah, I mean, he's a mercenary, but he is... I guess he could be an anarchist superhero. He's an anti-hero in any case. Um... It's hard because so many superheroes are vested, have a vested interest in maintaining the state. Yeah, uh, I've been in, I've been in far too many Twitter arguments regarding superheroes and fascism. I just I want mean, to read my comic books, man. I will point out that uh, the original Antifa super soldier is still Captain America. Yep. <laughs> um, in any case, go Knowles. Go Knowles.